Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to Why the Cast, man, a podcast about... Why the cast, man? Why the cast, man? A podcast about Why the Last Man on FX on Hulu. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we are going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 3, named Neil. N-E-I-L, not Neil before Zod or anything like that. Just so you know, just so there's yeah. some clarification there. You know, the original line, uh, Neil before Zod, is N-E-I-L. There was a big character named Neil that was... Oh, um, and he was getting in line before Zod, right? Yeah. I remember he was like, that. Ah, Neil before Zod. <laughs> <laughs> and he was killed. He was dispatched with very quickly. Yeah. It's the backstory of Zod. Zod's villain and origin story was he didn't get tacos first on Taco Tuesday and... Neil yeah. did. There you go. Then he went bad. Krypton had a great Taco Tuesday. <laughs> no one would disagree with that. Absolutely not. Now, if you haven't watched the episode, though, you probably watched the block of all three, I'm guessing, over on Hulu already. But in case you haven't, we are going to spoil the episode. We'll give you a brief recap of everything that happened here, broad overview. But for the most part, we're going to jump right into spoilers. So definitely watch the episode first. Now, uh, let's do a oh, brief. I, yeah. I, have, I have an idea. Yeah, um, I have a, a, a sudden strike of why this episode is named Neil. Oh, yes. Um, this... Just to just to give some context, we were discussing this beforehand because we went over the title of the episode. We're like, oh, this episode is named Neil. Who's Neil? Who is Neil? <laughs> and uh, while I was sitting here um, listening to our uh, quick way of avoiding talking about it, I thought I remember that when Nora and her daughter are in the car leaving their home after having a pretty shitty day. A Neil Young song comes on. Mm. A cover of a of a Neil Young song comes on the um, the radio, and it only plays for one little second, and then it goes away. That's why it's called Neil. And it was it was a woman singing a Neil Young cover, yes. right? Yes. Driving home the gender changes of this world so far, I guess. And I I do think that it, <laughs> yeah, good uh, no, good theory. I think that also it only they only hear it for like a brief second um, and then it cuts out. And I feel like it's so the, the we over the course of the episode, we follow Nora and her daughter and they have like an epic nightmare day. Um, and then after the gold rush, the young son comes on and they sort of have a sweet little moment like everything's going to be all right. And then it abruptly cuts off and they're back mm. in sort of this uh, post-apocalyptic hell sort of saying like, the only nice things we have are going to be disrupted. So um, enjoy them while you can and then get back to escaping the impending death. I guess. Yeah, not only that, I mean, it reminds you that Neil Young is dead. I got to be honest, I don't know if he was already dead. but uh, Neil Young in our universe, still alive. Okay. Uh, and then in this, you know, I mean, we don't know. We don't know yet. Maybe, it Maybe... Is, there's a second last man. Oh, man. Next season is going to be Why the Last Man and also Neil Young. Get yeah, why the last men? Ooh, I love it. It's <laughs> going to be Neil Young, Yorick, and uh, Charlie Sheen. I want to say, and they all mm-hmm. live in an apartment together, uh, oh, struggling to. Uh, Crosby, yeah. Stills, Nash, and Yorick. Ooh, good. 
good, good, Thanks. good. We're figuring this out. Now, to get into the recap for the episode, so Yorick has been reunited with his mom, now the de facto president of the United States. In this episode, she doesn't quite know how to deal with it. 355 has some problems of her own as she is dealing with a bunch of helicopter pilots who helped bring Yorick home. Uh, big issues there. Ultimately, by the end of the episode, Jennifer realizes it's too dangerous to keep Yorick there at the White House. 355 convinces her, so they head off in search of a scientist named Dr. Allison Mann, who hopefully is going to be able to study Yorick and Ampersand, presumably, and figure out what exactly is going on. Maybe they'll find some answers to the virus. Maybe they'll be able to reverse things, potentially. And 355, um, I think this is pretty clear, blows up the helicopter pilots at the end of the episode. Yeah. Uh, to cover up her tracks, something that shocks Yorick and uh, gives her a bunch of steely resolve. Meanwhile, back at the White House, the tensions are running very high. Jennifer is trying to manage a lot of things, but she's definitely stepping up in terms of being the president. But in the background, it turns out the vice president of the United States, who is a woman, who is very, I would say, Sarah Palin-esque, I would throw out there. I think that's, well, she wasn't actually the vice president. She was the vice president's wife. Uh, and I think, right? And she, No, no, no. She was the vice president. Well, she's. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. She's the vice president. She wakes up in Israel. She was in a plane crash. She's been asleep in a coma this entire time. Uh, she wakes up, and this causes a big fraction between Kimber and her people who want to hold on to the old order, who want to hold on to conservative voices, and Jennifer, who is the more liberal socialist side of things. Uh, everybody else circles their wagons around Jennifer and says, we're going to back you for president if it comes down to that. You've been seeing us through all these months at this point, uh, but obviously something big is coming down the road there. As we mentioned, Nora and her daughter find out that they're totally ditched by their friends. They are left completely alone, oh. and by the end, they're heading out on the road, having left the dead bodies of their entire rest of their family to be my crows. Uh, <laughs> the saddest storyline, I think. Uh, and we don't, just to mention, we don't see Hero at all this episode, completely off the board. So whatever is going on with her and Sam, we don't quite know. But again, broad overview of the episode. I know we've been doing this and we'll stop doing this at some point, but given that this is a chunk of three episodes here... And then we're going to go into one episode a week thereafter. Looking back now at this first chunk, at it's not exactly one third of the season because there's 10 episodes, but we pretty much have the first act here, I think. I know you've been very positive about it, but still feel it up? Still feel good? <laughs> uh, I This episode was very tense. Um, and I, I did like it, but it definitely is that episode that's like, hey, here's some more stuff we're dealing with um, throughout this season. And uh, I was surprised how political it is, how overtly political this episode becomes. We talked about in the last episode that um, it seems so, like sort of political, but not like the sort of two sides of American politics. And this episode uh, taps us on the shoulder and says, oh, no, we're doing that. We're doing <laughs> that thing here, too, um, as the factions within the um, it's not the White House, but the sort of situation room where they're running the government. It's starting to flare up a little bit. We get a confrontation. We get um, Kimber's character really coming to center here, which I really like her character. And I like the way they're playing these scenes. The scene at the end with her and, and Diane Lane, I thought was great. Now, we don't necessarily 
know this one way or the other, but I'm curious to hear your speculation on it. I certainly think that a large part of why we are seeing so much in this Situation Room and even the character of Kimber and what's going on there has to do with Diane Lane's participation in the show. Like we've talked about before, she was the one holdover from multiple versions that FX has developed. And I assume when you bring in somebody who is like Diane Lane, who is a name actor into the show, you're going to give them a little more meat, a little more something to do versus in the comic book. Certainly we get to see stuff with Jennifer Brown, but she is mostly there on the journey for Yorick to stop over versus here. The show very much is weighted towards her and what is going on with her and how she is helping out. So what do you think? Is this because of Diane Lane? Is this just because what the showrunner is interested in talking about? Again, raw speculation here. I think um, probably a little bit of both and probably just like, hey, uh, this was a comic book um, and now it's a TV show. We need to add some more stuff. Um, mm-hmm. it, to make this uh, sort of dramatically shift between storylines. If we were just following York solo the whole time, it would feel like a one note show. And now we're getting able, getting, we're able to get into sort of larger uh, societal issues that I think the, the Diane Lane stuff will really get to dive into. Yeah, I agree. I Overall, I feel a little better after this first act, I know I've been kind of feel better. Well, I feel better about the show. Feel you feel better all the way. Just I could feel myself relaxing, watching this episode, just chilling out, being like, ah, this is nice. This is like a warm blanket of a show right here. That's that's what they're trying to do. Truly comforting show. This. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. No, I I think the things that I've been concerned about, and and I've talked about this before is getting to York and three, five, five's journey. And the fact that, It's a little bit annoying to me that it took three hours to get there, but at the same time, they are there. They're at the point of the show where I wanted them to get to, and I know this is on me and my own expectations of what's going to happen, but that is a relief that they are going forward with that. I know we're going to balance all these other things, but certainly my picture of the show now here at the end of the third episode is... Okay, they have they are aiming for long term streaming show pacing of this, right? So I don't know necessarily what's going to happen over the course of the first season, but certainly they're looking at it as this is the first leg of Yorick and Three Five Five's journey. Wherever we end up at the end of the first season, that's fine. So that's why we have three hours of stuff before they actually get to essentially where we start the book. You know. Yeah, and do you, hearing you say that, what do you think that this is the streaming television pace? What do you think the end of this uh, first season is? Based on, not based on the comic, based on what we've seen so far in this show. Sure. I mean, I assume there's going to be some sort of thing where you're, this is thinking way far ahead. You know, we get the mention of the character Dr. Allison Madden here, who is another big mm-hmm. character from the comic book. She's somebody who, spoiler, but joins... Yorick and 355 on their journey as they go to figure out what's going on with the cure. So I imagine we're going to get some sort of thing where it's like, ooh, we studied Yorick and there's a twist. And that's it. <laughs> Maybe like we don't know what the twist is, but it's not. There's a complication in terms of, wait a second, you're not immune. Or, I mean, there is a very specific storyline from the comic. Again, are we talking about spoilers for the comic? I know I'm no, talking about No, no. I, I... I meant more just like what we've seen in the show, basing on that. Um, but I want to say real quick, uh, if I was your doctor and came into you and like, Mr. Zalba and I looked at your uh, results and there's a twist. <laughs> there's a twist in your I in love your that. I'd be like, ah, have I had a streaming show? 
That's yeah. great. Um, but I guess I was just setting myself up um, to say my prediction, last shot of this first season, is Yorick finding Beth mm. wherever she is. Okay. Um, so I, I, based on looking at the first three hours, the first third, I feel like they've set some things into motion and Yorick keeps talking about Beth. And like it's, uh, it feels like that is going to have some sort of narrative power um, going mm-hmm. forward here, as well as like all of the political machinations that are going to be happening uh, for for Diane Lane. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think it is hard to tell with another seven hours to go exactly what's going to happen here. But to your point, yeah, I think we're going to get a Beth. We're going to get some sort of reveal about what's going on with the virus. But I think it's going to be teasing rather than putting it all on the table necessarily. I guess that's mm. what I'm getting to with the streaming pace of the thing this doesn't feel like a first season that's like let's put it all out there and who knows what's going to happen in a season two it's like we have a five season plan here's what happens in season one and then we'll go into season two etc etc but that said i like yorick in this episode i think there's some really good stuff that happens between him and his mom happens between him and 355 um the point we were talking about last I think you were mentioning on the last episode about him being such a goofball just running after ampersand happens again this time too is that going to be every episode that monkey it's a scam he's a scam he's Mm going to run off and do what he wants I love the line that Diane Lane has like uh, he's definitely a man uh, talking about (laughs) ampersand because imagine having a a monkey like in your life like what a What a a nightmare. Oh, nightmare? I don't know. It might be kind of fun. You want a train monkey? monkey? Yeah, I mean, it's probably a little train. I mean, here's the thing. I'm allergic to cats and dogs, even though I love cats and dogs. If I found out I was not allergic to monkeys, maybe I'd get a monkey. I don't know. Nice. Good. Bold move. I would would aim more toward goldfish, but hey, um, you do you. uh, I feel like it would be a very different show if Yorick was walking around with a goldfish in a bag like you wanted an affair. (laughs) (laughs) This this fish is a man. Yeah, this is a bad fish. I'm a man, and this fish is a man. Where did we survive? Yeah, we gotta we gotta study this fish. Did all the the fish male fish die too? Probably. Gross. Because you know, uh, underwater harder to transmit a virus. I would think. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's season two. Maybe season two they meet up with Aquaman and they explore the undersea world. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. Flounder. The, King Triton, uh, keep mentioning characters. <laughs> keep mentioning male, all the male yeah. characters, the most Scuttle. interesting male characters. Scuttle's dead. There's going to be a shot yeah. of Scuttle lying on his rock, blood pouring out of his eyes. Wow. Dark times. This is the commentary you guys came here for, right? Absolutely. Uh, what Under what the else sea? should we tell you? Yeah, please. Go ahead. Uh, so you want me to sing Under the Sea? Oh, you were going to sing Under the Sea? I thought you said... I just, as, <laughs> Oh, okay. I thought you said, and there's this sea, not under the sea. No. <laughs> I said, under the sea. Oh, under the sea. Yeah. Darling, it's better. All the fish are deader. Under the sea. I wanted to get back and talk about Jennifer's storyline a little bit because I, th- I think there's a couple of interesting moments in there. Obviously, we get the tense thing that you were talking about where... Yorick runs away and Kimber's mom sees him. Um, This is another interesting twist here because 
we get uh, tying into that scene at the end, towards the end of the episode where Kimber and Jennifer are looking at the wall of the dead. Does Kimber know or suspect that Yorick is alive at this point? That's what I, I loved about this scene. I thought it was great. Um, I don't think she does. I, can't, I don't think she knows knows, but she's like, that was weird. Something's up there and she is uh, going to, that's going to be a problem when York is eventually revealed. I would think it's going to give uh, fuel to her fire in whatever political battle is coming uh, for, for her and, and Diane Lane. And it was, it was cool. Well, let's talk further about the political things that are going on, just the different machinations here since I think you're pretty split in terms of how you feel about this, given that they've gotten more into a bunch of conservative women literally marching towards the liberal women and then facing off in a hallway. How did you feel about that? Did that did you like it? Were you turned off by it? What was your take? No, I like it. I'm just surprised the show is going there. And because they, they get into like real like they call one the Kimber or one of the the conservative women call um, the woman who's with Diane Lane a, a rhino at one point. They get into like, oh, the uh, Regina is a crazy person. Um, like, what what it all means? We need our voice in the room, that kind of stuff. And I, it just is so it's so present. And and I give them credit for going there, but that's just a minefield, I think, for a television show to sort of tread on. Yeah, I. I don't know why I felt better about this episode in terms of the political stuff. Like, they were straight up. Maybe it was because it felt more present and less general to the point where they're talking about the vice president character. She apparently said Jesus didn't take vaccines. And that's something that we're dealing with, you know, this week in the real world. Yeah, true, so, true. <laughs> so in terms of that, that sort of feels like rather than generically talking about conservative liberal, having things that feel very specific. This contradicts something that I said several episodes ago about uh, the show de definitely doesn't feel timeless at this point in terms of dealing things that we're dealing with literally today. But I, I think that's a better take on it than broad stroking, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, being real about it, and, you know, I've said this a couple of times in our the first two episodes, that this show is is being very smart with their audience. They're not over-explaining things. They're really just, like, showing us stuff, and we're able to just be along for the ride. And the fact that they're like, hey, politics, the politics in our country as it is right now, it, no matter what apocalypse happens, people are still going to be having these fights and, and pushing their side. Um, and so I, I agree. I do think that's very real and it, it makes it feel a little more relatable, maybe, is what yeah. you're saying. Let's move over to 355, who's doing some amazing <laughs> stuff in this episode. I love the way that Ashley Romans is playing this. She has a couple of moments where it feels like 355 is a relatable human character and then she's not. And she just kind of yeah. turns on a dime. Like the scene where she's eating chips with the helicopter pilots and is like, hey, we're all in this together, man. Come on. Oh, yeah. what are we going to do here? When clearly she isn't the one in control and she's just nudging them and pushing this the entire time. So good. So well played. It's great. And the way that she's able to uh, be this array, she's just like the best agent. She's like the best. She's James Bond who like takes shit seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, like she's playing everyone all the time, moving through this, getting to the point where she 
blows them up to keep Yorick's secret. I love the idea that you picture James Bond as the guy who just fucks around a lot. Um, he does. He's always like, yeah, I'll have another drink. Hey, yeah, let's go have sex in this <laughs> room or whatever. That's not part of the mission. Yeah. My favorite my favorite part of the Spectre, was that the last James Bond movie? There's a yes. sequence where he just plays skee ball for like 30 minutes. Super fun. Yeah. He's bad. That at guy. It. Yeah. <laughs> you, I love so many scenes in James Bond where he's just bad at stuff. <laughs> you yeah. see him trying to tie right. a tie. He's like, oh, I can't do this. Yeah. Oh, maybe we were watching Mr. Bean. Was it Mr. Bean we're thinking of? No, it's uh, he's like a secret agent, but he doesn't talk very much. He's oh, always okay. like tripping over stuff in front of the queen. Oh, right. Mr. Whoa, Bean, whoa, whoa. Rowan Atkinson, also dead in this universe. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> really pushing that. Yeah, I wonder if there's... Mr. Bean. What are the... What do you think the political cartoons, not political cartoons, but you know how whenever a celebrity dies, somebody always draws a, pic, a cartoon of them going into heaven and a bunch of other celebrities joining them? What do you think those were like right after this happened in Why the Last Man? Probably pretty crowded, right? Very crowded. And you got to say, like, yeah, I'm sure we'll cover that in the show, that the political cartoonists kept drawing. Right. They're an essential, essential <laughs> service that we need. Because uh, if you can't have a little chuckle over your morning coffee, despite the political situation, what are we doing? A poignant chuckle, by the yeah. way. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Also, maybe they got better because I honestly cannot think of a political cartoonist who is not a man, so they're all dead as well. <laughs> wow. <that's... laughs> it is weird. That's a very male-centric uh, mm -hmm. industry. Would you call that an industry? Mm, in, no. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's correct. Yeah. I think that's All right. Uh, back to the show, though. Who else should we talk through? Uh, we could talk. We talked about Nora a little bit, but how did you feel about the storyline? Well, let's talk before we move on to Nora. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about it because three five five and Yorick. The, this is the essential relationship of the comic book, and we get to see them sort of together for the first time. He's making jokes, doing mm -hmm. some some bits. Um, I don't know. His jokes aren't quite. They're not quite there for me, um, just uh, comedically. I definitely want him to be a little more, um, he feels a little performative in that part. I don't know if it's the actor or a choice that they're actually making for the show. I I honestly think it's the writing, uh, to, to be fair. Like, I think they've decided he's like, ooh, fast talking, I'm nervous. I'm doing like a Robin Williams spitting a million things a minute thing. And it's just... Not quite working because, as you pointed out, he's not funny. Yorick, uh, <laughs> Yorick yeah. should be cheesy and making dumb jokes, but still kind of funny in the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like you're saying, it's not quite there. Well, there's a there's a way of being cheesy and likable, and cheesy and like, oh my god, get out of here. And I think he's a little bit uh, toggled on the on the wrong side. Um, but I think once we're off with uh yorick and 355 alone maybe that will give him a little more fodder to make him funny in the right ways um but i i like the way the the moment at the end when the helicopter blows up and yorick doesn't think it's her really there maybe there's one little glance he gives her but i think in the ensuing episodes there's gonna they're gonna talk about this situation again yeah absolutely um what else do I want? Oh, I did want to mention the thing about Europe eating a ton of spaghetti, which yeah. 
just made me very nervous from a production standpoint because he was just like chomping down on that. I know this is a very stupid thing to focus on and not the point of the scene, but just the continuity of that much spaghetti on the plate that he's also eating every time out of the gate. I'm sure he was spitting it in a bucket or whatever, but too much spaghetti. Didn't, didn't like, like it. Not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> too much spaghetti for my heroes. Um, the idea that there was a full page of the script that was just um, describing the action that is, he eats spaghetti. I'm talking lots of spaghetti. Like so much spaghetti, you don't even, all in caps going through. No you ever read that Stregonona book? Imagine Big Anthony just keeps wishing on spaghetti and your keeps eating the spaghetti. You know what I'm talking about? Do you know what when, I'm talking when he, about? I don't know what you're talking about, but that's cool. Oh. Uh, he bar he barfs in the garbage. Not that wasn't in the script. He just ate the actor himself. Ben made ate too much spaghetti. Oh well, let me very quickly explain what happens in Stregonona. So in Stregonona, Stregonona has a magic pot of spaghetti pasta specifically, but it really looks like spaghetti in the book. And she mm. leaves her assistant, Big Anthony, alone. He hears the magic words to make the spaghetti. Uh, grow out of the pot, but he doesn't hear the magic words to stop it. So he gets pretty hungry and he thinks, oh, I can eat all the spaghetti. And so he wishes uh, he does the magic words and gets a bunch of spaghetti and starts eating it. And it's great. But the spaghetti keeps coming and he keeps eating it. And ultimately, the spaghetti takes over the entire town until Stregonona comes back and is like, Big Anthony, what are you doing? And forces him, I believe, to eat all the spaghetti. A lot of times when someone's like, here, let me explain that to you. I'm like, ah, oh, thank you. That makes way more sense. This is <laughs> this is not one of those times. <laughs> when you were saying that, I was like, okay, uh, cool. I don't know less about what you're talking Good book. You should read it to your kids. Strang it on them. Okay, great. Wow. <laughs> really selling it. <laughs> no further questions. Shall we move on and talk about Nora speaking of children? Yes. This... We've talked on the past two episodes about what is going on with Nora and what exactly her storyline is. I feel less clear after this episode, even though everything that went on here is very, very dark and still well done. How about yeah, you? Yeah, it, it was that we spent a lot of time with Nora on this episode, um, and it is very dark. It does make me think in the last episode, we, were, we saw one scene with her and we were like, who is, what's her deal? And in this episode, she sort of has as much time as Hero has in the previous episode. And it's just a bunch of bad things happening. Um, I do, I I gotta think maybe she's going to encounter Yorick now that they've hit the road, Yorick at 355, and be a factor there. Because I think last episode I said, oh, she's gonna be a threat to Diane Lane. But all of the threats to Diane Lane have uh, solidified uh, yeah. in this episode. So I do think maybe she's gonna be a, a, road, a road bump for Yorick and 355. Yeah, in terms of the show, I think her function right now is to show us the outside world, right? Like, we've got the White House situation room political thing going on with most of our characters in this episode, but we haven't seen what's going on just in neighborhoods. So that's her driving through, showing us that there's just kind of dead bodies everywhere, houses abandoned, people are circling the wagons, they're leaving towns because there's no food. So I think that's the function of it in terms of the progression of the storyline. But like you're getting at, I don't know what Nora's point in this story is yet. You know, we know Hero and Sam are headed towards Dyad Lane. That's where they're going. That is their goal. Yorick and 355 are headed towards Dr. Allison Mann. 
Jennifer obviously is dealing with all the stuff in Washington, as is Kimber, as are the rest of those characters. But Nora right now is like, well, I got nowhere to go. I guess I'm just going to drive and listen to this Neil Young cover. And oh, that's not there anymore either. So it does feel like there's going to be an eventual point to it. But as it yeah. is, we we need to find out what it is, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It, it, she's setting it herself up to be something that that we just don't know. I don't. I think they. It's not like we're missing clues. Is what she's going to be. They're just not telling us yet. Right. Exactly. So again, very streaming pace to that, where it's like, take your time. We're going to get to it in episode seven or eight. Just hang in there, buddy. But yeah, it is what it is. What other moments, if anything, would you like to call out about this episode? Um. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um sort of the gesture toward conspiracy theory um, as uh, sort of a big problem. Um, the pilot, when they when they first get, uh, are in the room with Agent 355, I thought that was a cool, in early shows from like years ago, it would be like, oh, and the conspiracy theorists are crazy. And like as a punchline more. And this episode, it's like, hey, this is going to be a major problem for you. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just a something I hadn't seen before as a, a tension ratcheter. Um, and what did you think of uh, Kimber's, the moment where she steals that woman's colored pencils? Um, is she, uh, this is when she's talking to the, yeah. the other Republican wife. Why, what was that? Was that like a little bit of revenge? Is she, is this speaking to her? There's some sort of thing with her and kids. Either she couldn't have kids or something happened No, to all her. of her kids died. Her entire Yeah, they were all we, boys. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly what's going on with Kimber is, I don't remember exactly how many kids she may have had five sons or something like that and her husband and they all died. So she lost absolutely everybody. So I'd imagine there's a little bit of a jealousy, frustration, like you're saying, revenge thing going on there where there are all of these people, uh, women that have a kid, have somebody in their life and she has nobody And right now, what we've seen in these first three episodes, right up until she finally gathers the troops and marches down the hallway, is she has no power in this situation. She had power. She had the ear of the president. She was going on book tours. She was a major, you know, speaker in cancel culture. And all of that went away. She has nothing right now. So I think that's probably what that moment is, is her taking back a little something from somebody else. And then... When she gets this information about the vice president, she jumps into action and the power dynamic completely flips. Yeah, it's interesting. They keep sort of positioning her as someone who like identified herself in relation to men. Like her book was about like, they're not letting our boys be men. And now that she doesn't have that in her sort of identity, she's trying to find a way of what she is now, I think, maybe in a way. Uh, uh, so that's a, a cool thing and then i want to do um the uh when she's talking to diane lane at the end we learn that she hates broadway except for phantom now i feel mm-hmm. like that might have struck you specifically as a as a broadway love well i think it's pretty clear what they're telling us there is that she's a horrible jerk who doesn't actually mm-hmm. uh, appreciate the arts i think that tracks that they're like oh i love phantom i saw lane miz and didn't quite get it and that's pretty much it. 
So you think that was her full on villain reveal heel turn moment? Absolutely. She... I, I was kind of waffling whether she is good or bad or exactly what's going on here. And then she said that stuff about Broadway. And I was like, no, that's that's a villain straight up. And that's the same thing that happens in wrestling, right? Like when they turn yeah. heel, they come out and they're like, I only like Phantom. Yeah, that's definitely. But they're talking about an actual phantom who uh, lives in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Under the ring. Yeah. And teaches them wrestling. Under, under the ring. <laughs> under the ring. Uh, well, anyway, good, solid episode, I thought, of the show. I think we're really heating up to some stuff, so I'm very curious to see how this goes next week as we continue to plug through it. But before we wrap up here, who's the man? Who's the man in this Ooh. week's episode? Justin? Who's the man? Yep. Uh, I mean, in this episode, I think I'm going to give it up for Diane. Um, is she, um, the speech she gives to the woman to turn the power back on, um, which we didn't really talk about, but I think was a scene there meant to be like, look, no matter what happens with the vice president coming back, Diane Lane is the right person to be president right now. And I thought she did a great job of sort of proving that, um, in this scene and, She's making the tough calls. I like that the show is sort of focusing on her as a character. Um, she's she's the man. I'm going to give it up to 355 in this episode. Such good stuff it. going on with her. Yeah, thank you for paving the way for me to go back to my girl, 355. Mm -hmm. uh, such good stuff from Ashley Robbins here in every single scene. I also love the brief moments that we get of her getting shaky. They're like split seconds yeah. long, but she steps out of the room with the two helicopter pilots stands there, takes a breath for a moment. And then it's like, all right, I'm locking them in and locks them in. Yeah. And all of those things. So good. We also didn't mention the scene that she has with Kimber when she's looking through the files and Kimber is like, yeah, a couple of the girls and I would get together for, I think it was like a game night or a card night or something like that. Yeah. Play cards. And she's like, Oh, sounds great. Thanks so much. The way that she delivered that line was just absolutely fantastic. Every time she's on screen, it just like there's that extra bit of energy in the show that I really enjoy. She's great. If you'd like to support our show, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Why the Last Man. We, I believe, have all the feeds up and running now. So iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show. At Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, why the cast, man? Why? Why the cast, man? Why? Under the sea, under the sea, Oscar. Oh,